Hey, this is Travis Bennett, the pastor here at Arena of Life Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I pray this builds your faith, encourages you, and brings you to newer levels in Christ. Enjoy the message. I'm glad y'all are here. Let's start with a word of prayer. Well, Father, in Jesus' name, Father, we just come before you and we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the love that you show us in your word, and we thank you for the word that was made flesh, Jesus, your son. We thank you so much for Jesus. We love Jesus, and we thank Jesus. We thank you that Jesus and you loved us first and sent the Son to die for us on the cross. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have opportunity to be in your house tonight, to be in your presence and to study your word. I thank you for these folks here tonight, Father, that have a desire in their hearts to learn more, to, to uh, study, to get into the word. Father, these, uh, these warriors that are here tonight, I believe that's what they truly are, Father. They have that desire to fight the battles that they have to fight, they, to put on the full armor of God, Father, and to, and to uh, use the word of God, the sword of the spirit, as it needs to be used against the uh, things that we have to fight against nowadays, Father. And we thank you for that. Father, I thank you for each person here tonight, and I pray blessings upon each one, Father, that their ears would be open, that their hearts would be good ground to receive everything that you have for us tonight. Father, show us the way. Show us your word. Open up your word like never before. Give, uh, Reveal to us the things that you want us to see, and then help us to take these things, Father, to implant them, to be have that word implanted into our soul and uh, deeply that we would take it and be able to use it and be able to uh, do warfare, to, do, uh, to, uh, to uh, defend the faith, to, do, uh, to contend with those things that we need to contend with in this world that's gone crazy, Father. And we thank you that we have that opportunity. Father, I pray for the ones that are not here tonight. Watch over them. Take care of them. Bless them, Father. If they're sick tonight, Father, I pray for healing in their bodies. We send, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their uh, diseases, Father. So we send that word. We send that word of healing right now. We believe and trust in that word, Father. We stand on the firm ground of your word, the blood of Jesus, the stripes of Jesus that healed us. We thank you for it, and we believe and trust in you, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. This is my last time for the Bible study for a while, so uh, we're, we're going to finish with this because I really wanted to finish. I just couldn't, couldn't uh, go... Uh, we, you know, we finished with uh, back in December with the uh, with the, uh, substitutionary uh, atonement, uh, the blood atonement. But you know what? You can't have a death without a resurrection, right? And that's the and those that, the, that those that are not here tonight, they're just going to miss out. This is like the icing on the cake. This is like the uh, you know the peanut butter on the cracker. This is just like I mean, it's this this is good. This kind of makes it just worthwhile. So. Listen up, this is good, not because I put it together, but because God put this plan together, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good word. So let's start out with what we, what we our, our anthem kind of as we march through this thing. We're given the same instructions by Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark to preach the gospel and to teach them to observe all things. It's called the Great Commission. That's what we ought to be about. That's our business. That's what we're here. That's our purpose, to get saved and then spread the word. We're commanded in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be ready to give a defense or an answer for the hope that's inside of you. Anybody have any hope inside of you? I have hope, and you're going to have more hope tonight after this. And then we are exhorted in Jude 3 to contend earnestly for the faith. Fight with all your strength. Well, you might ask the question, why? Why do we have to do these? Why do we have to, to give a defense? Why do we have to contend earnestly for the faith? Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 13 answers this question. Remember this passage, and the pastor's done a teaching on this. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, and the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We've got to do these things to stand. Second Timothy, that's right. Draw a line in the sand. Second Timothy 2.15 says, he, he's, he tells Timothy, Paul does, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we're doing, what we're striving to do tonight, is rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what the Bible is, is the word of truth, and we're trying to rightly divide it. We're trying to gain from it. We're trying to learn from it. We're trying to get it inside of us. Therefore, this, uh, James 4, 7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, when you come on Wednesday nights, when you come on these extracurricular, I'd say, things that go on in the church, and you're sitting in under this, I know sometimes it's a pain. Sometimes I say, golly, do I have to be there every time the church door opens? No, you're submitting to God when you submit yourself to that. You come to, you come to learn, no matter who's up here. You know, it may be someone not so good or someone really good up here, but they're they're given to you and spilling out the, the word of God, and the word of God is what the important thing is, and that's what we learn. We're submitting to God, and when we do that, resist the devil. That's just part of our battle. We have to resist the devil, and we do that by our submission to God and learning the things, and then he'll flee from us. And I know I don't know about you, but the devil is on a tear. He's trying to do everything he can to discourage us, to take away from us the things that we have, and I promise you we're not going to let him have an inch of ground. So, the answer, so why? is because we got to be smarter than the devil and his demons, right? You cannot be successful and victorious in your Christian walk this side of heaven if you neglect the Word of God. Get under the Word, get into the Word, and get the Word into you. Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. That was another scripture. I should have written, written it down, but I didn't. But y'all can go find that. But he does. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And that's what we're doing is we're contending and we're defending. We're uh, uh, submitting to God, and we're going to fight the battle, and we're going to win. <clears throat> so, so let's do a refresh and a recap from the last lesson, number eight, substitutionary blood atonement of Jesus. In our last lesson in December the 14th, that was last year, man. We're all together. This, this is this year. That's last year. We covered the cornerstone essential doctrine of our Christian faith, the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, also known as the substitutionary blood atonement. In that lesson, we saw the incarnation, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the only begotten Son of God, the God-man, born of the Virgin Mary uh, in, uh, <clears throat> into the human race, who lived a sinless life, who showed to us the love and provision of our Father God, and ultimately paid the penalty that we could not pay, the agonizing, humiliating death on the cross of Calvary. The sacrifice, the sacrifice satisfied forever the claims of justice over all mankind and freed us from the authority of the devil and the bondage and penalty of sin and death. The final words of Jesus on the cross before he breathed his last breath and gave up his spirit, it is finished. The single Greek word for this, tetelestai, means the legal debt that we owed was fully paid and his redemptive work was complete. The penalty has been paid for us. Christ's redemptive work on the cross was completed. Now we need to look at the rest of the story. Y'all remember Paul Harvey and the rest of the story? That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the rest of the story because there's a lot more to the story. The rest of the story, the bodily, bodily, I want you to keep in mind as we go through here, we're saying the bodily resurrection of Jesus. What we believe at AOL, we believe that Jesus is indeed fully God, fully human, 
and that he lived his entire life on the earth without sin to become the substitutionary blood atonement or sacrifice for all of man <clears throat> by suffering the agonizing, humiliating death on the cross. And so the second part of that, we believe that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, was in the grave for three days, and on the third day he rose from death in his physical body glorified. The bodily resurrection of Jesus in the Bible record. Now, this is the account that we need to, uh, I'm, there's several, all the Gospels have an account, but this is the one, I'm just going to use one of them, one of, we're not going to do all four, Matthew 28, 1 through 8, uh, 28, verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, this is after Jesus is laid in the tomb, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the, woman, do, to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Tonight we are studying one of the most important of the essential and fundamental doctrines of the Christian church, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. This doctrine is so important that without it, without the firm belief in the resurrection, then all of Christianity is false. The belief in Christ's resurrection and the promise of our future resurrection is a basis, basis of all believers' hope. The bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus is by far the most con contested and objected to doctrine of Christianity, and the objections and unbelief are not always from outside the church. There exists, even in the nominal church of today, those that still do not believe in the physical bodily, bodily resurrection of our Lord and Savior, saying that physical resurrection is not an essential belief for salvation. Is it an essential belief to y'all? Amen. Got to have some amens. Is there an amen in here? <laughs> amen. It is essential. And why is it essential? We're going to read that. We're going to find out. Let's read something what Peter, that Peter wrote in his second epistle and, and re, to, about remaining steadfast and to watch out for false doctrine. See, we need to teach this. We need, and we'll see why we need to teach and why we need to believe and why we need to be able to give an answer about this bodily resurrection about uh, Jesus, uh, of Jesus. Second Peter 3, verse 14 through 18, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his apostles, uh, epistles, uh, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist in their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. We have people out there that are teaching and, and uh, uh, that are untaught and unstable. In other words, they, they wing it, they give their own personal opinion and everything like that, and they twist their own, to their own destruction and uh, as they do the, also the rest of the Scripture. So you got to be, that's why we're talking about you got to be diligent in these things. You therefore, beloved, since you know all that, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. When he says we, we don't fall from your steadfastness, be steady in your, I mean, be strong in your, you know, the Bible, the, the, what, what we just read on that first scripture about the, uh, 
um, putting on the whole army. He said, therefore, take up the whole armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. In other words, steadfast, continue to stand. This is why we have Bible study time, to dig into what the word has to say, that we can be, uh, word says, so that we can be steadfast in what we believe and to always be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Now, back to the resurrection, and it's important. That's what Peter said about that, and I just a, I want, it's just a little encouragement to say steadfast, and I, I encourage you to take these scriptures that we're reading tonight. I mean, we'll go through them real quick because there's a lot of scripture, a lot to read, but I, I encourage you to go back and take your Bible with this and read alongside that and then read, read the scriptures before and after and, and uh, get some more uh, knowledge on, on the, the resurrection. But so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. And I want to tell you, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is probably the, the you might call it the quintessential scripture on the resurrection. It tells you everything you need to know. I mean, it tell, it's the best explanation. And abs- actually, it's considered the first, um, the first uh, written explanation of the resurrection, even before the Gospels. Uh, Paul had written this because he wrote this. He wrote his uh, letter to the uh, Corinthian church in about 56 A.D. and the, and the Gospels were written after that. Uh, even though it, you know, you, if you didn't know that, that's that's what happened. But um, but anyway, this is the first actual description of the of the resurrection. And and as we've seen, as and as we'll see, all the time that Jesus spent with the the uh, disciples and he told them th- at least three times in the in the gospel of mark he told them three times that he was going to he was die going to die and he's going to raise again but they still didn't understand it they weren't they were surprised they they were not looking for a resurrection they were not looking for him to rise again they were so anyway we'll see as this goes through so this is what it says in in verse 3 for i delivered to you first of all that which i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, and whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. I want to, uh, the, the moody uh, Bible's Institute said this about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about how many people have seen it, but he said this event, which almost occurred, which uh, which almost which occurred almost two thousand years ago, is the best attested fact in human history and experience. Can you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was predicted in the Old Testament and by Christ Himself? And we'll see that as we even go through. We'll have some references to that. But it was a it was. It was an event that was attested. It was seen by and witnessed by many, 500 people at once. Uh, all the all the all the the 11 apostles that were left, uh, disciples that were left, and all these other people that that, he, that saw him, uh, and even the, the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus, and all of these things. So we we'll skip down now to verse 14, and, and where Paul writes, he he writes this about the resurrection. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. And then in verse 17, he says, this is how much he's putting into this, and he wants to emphasize the, the resurrection of Christ. And he said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then finally, he says, uh, and this is not finally, because it goes on for another, all the way to 58 verses in, in 1 Corinthians 15. But he says, in this life only, if we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. 
That's why it's so important for us to believe in the resurrection. If we don't understand, if we don't believe in the resurrection, if we don't uh, hold the resurrection as our hope, then my goodness, then what do we do? We're just going to be like a dog and go die, and 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 uh, that's at the end of it. Uh, you know, it's like that old song. Is that all there is? No, it's not. It's not. The resurrection is out there for us. Praise God for that. To deny the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus is deny, to deny the very heart of everything that we believe in and hope for. This essential doctrine separates the true believer from the cults, false religions, and false belief systems everywhere. And we'll look at several and, and, and see why it separates the true from the false. We'll start with the Jehovah Witnesses. We'll pick on them to start with. They believe that uh, Christ gave his life as a ransom price to atone for our guilt to Adam. Well, that's pretty close. But he was raised an invisible spirit creature, forfeiting his right to bodily earthly life. Here's a quote from one of their books, You Can Live Forever in Paradise on Earth. Having given up his flesh for the life of the world, Christ could never take it again and become a man once more. For that basic reason, his return could never be in a human body that he sacrificed once for all time. Do you see a difference in Jehovah Witnesses and Christians? Are Jehovah Witnesses Christians? No, they're not, if they believe that way. That's why we got to work on them. When you see those guys riding down the road in the bicycles with their white shirt and their black pants and everything, good opportunity. Hey, pull over. I want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> Ask him over for tea. In the Church of Latter-day Saints, I guess it's the Jehovah Witnesses. Is it them or Mormons that do that? Mormons do that too, don't they? I think Jehovah Witnesses do also. I don't, I'm not sure. It's, maybe it's the Mormons I'm talking about. In the, huh? Yeah. In, in the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, they do believe in a bodily re resurrection of Jesus, that the Christ's atoning work brings about the resurrection, but they believe that the atoning work brings about the resurrection of all mankind, but it cannot pay, the atoning work cannot pay for all a person's sins or guarantee exaltation. See, they believe that you work towards an exaltation in the, in the Mormon belief system. After all, the Mormons are uh, also believe that the Father of God had a physical body and physically impregnated Mary to birth Jesus. We talked about that before. They don't believe in salvation by grace alone, but that human works are needed to complete the process. Mormons, as we have, in, have as we said in an earlier lesson, deny the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, teaching that the Father, the Son, and Holy Ghost are all separate gods. The universe, uni, Unitarian Universalists also deny the Trinity doctrine, believing in the ultimate universal salvation of all humanity, allowing and accepting a wide variety of belief systems from neo-paganism, liberal Christians, theists, uh, religious humanists, atheists, etc., there's a lot more. Most most UUs uh, reject the idea of the existence of an afterlife, and of course they deny the bodily resurrection of Christ or anyone else for that matter, and deny hell. You think that helps if you deny it? You don't have to worry about going there. No. It just doesn't exist, so we don't have to worry about that. There's a lot of people that believe that, though. To them, there's no future judgment. People are compensated in this life for what they do and how they live. Christian science, along with the other mind science groups, believe we exist only as an aspect of the divine mind, that all material is illusionary and not reality. We are one with the universe in the divine mind. Jesus was merely a human man, a divine idea in fleshly form. 
They believe that he is the way sure to salvation, but he cannot save us. Concerning Christ's death and resurrection, since to them death is an illusion, Christ did not die on the cross, so consequently bodily resurrection was and is not unnecessary. See, they say sin, matter, evil, disease, death are all unreal and an illusion. They are merely destructive forms of thought. Here's a quote from their teachings in health and science by the founder, Mary Baker Eddy, of, of Christian Science. And it, she's right, she writes this, Jesus' students, not sufficiently advanced fully to understand their master's triumph, did not perform many wonderful works until they saw him after his, resurrect, after his crucifixion and learned that he had not died. See, they're the ones that deny Christ's death by saying it was, that's, that's one of the belief systems about that, that he did not die, that he was just, it's kind of like they call that the, the uh, swoon theory. In other words, he just looked like he died, but he didn't really die. So uh, I don't know if you've had a spear thrust in your side and the, <laughs> all the blood out of your body. I don't know how they could die that. But anyway, they, that, they learned that he had not died. That's their, their saying. Resurrection is, spirit, is spiritualization of thought, a new and higher idea of immortality or spiritual experience, material belief yielding to spiritual understanding. Let me read you one other thing from, uh, from another branch of mind science. It's called the Unity School of Christian Christianity. They believe in reincarnation instead over resurrection. This is a, a statement out of their, uh, this is a, a quote out of their statement of faith. We believe that the dissolution of spirit, soul, and body, I didn't write this in here, I just wrote this later, so just listen to this. We believe, this is their statement of faith, we believe that the dissolution of spirit, soul, and body caused by death is annulled by rebirth of the same spirit and soul in another body here on earth. We believe the, re the repeated Incarnation of man to, a, to be a merciful provision of our loving Father to the end that all may have opportunity to attain immortality through regeneration as did Jesus. In other words, you just keep getting reincarnated into another life until the point where you actually attain that immortality just like Jesus did. That's what they said he, was, he, he did, you know. The, the Bible says contrary to that. The Bible says Christ died once for all to put away sins forever. And in Hebrew 9.27, it says it appointed a man once to die, but after that the judgment. So that kind of refutes reincarnation altogether, doesn't it? And, and, and even uh, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.8, uh, he says to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. So if you die, you're immediately present with the Lord, your spirit. So these are just a few cult beliefs about the afterlife and resurrection. Literally, there are thousands of cults in the world. Remember, it's all about Jesus. We could have talked about all kinds of things. There's Satanism, there's Shintoism, there's Taoism, there's Buddhism, uh, Islam, all of these different beliefs out there, uh, and then all the other multiple, you know, uh, what was the one uh, that uh, David Koresh led? Um, he, that, that's a cult, you know, those, those even their smaller groups. But there's thousands of them around the world. The Moonies, y'all remember the Moonies? I know some of you are not old enough to remember the Moonies from the early. Uh, they're still around, and they still they still do that. You don't remember them? Yeah, you do. You're old enough for that. Anything that takes away from the things we've already studied and believe about Jesus, anything that tends to lessen his deity in any way, you need to run away from. Always, Jesus must be exalted. 
Even in the modern church, the belief in the bodily resurrection is not a given. An article from CBN, Christian Broadcasting Network, showed a poll, uh, a, conducted, a poll conducted a few years back in 2017 in Great Britain discovered this. But the Palm Sunday poll for the BBC found 23% of those calling themselves Christians do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead at all. Wow. Now, the 23% doesn't seem like a bad number. That's just like one out of four. That's not too bad. But that we're talking about people that call themselves Christian. It's not a really bad number until you consider the probability that it really shows that uh, 23% are really not true believers after all. That may be a harsh statement, but Paul makes it very clear in Romans where he says in Romans 10 and 9 that if you confess with your mouth, this is a scripture we use all the time for salvation, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we can't, we can't allow that. Uh, I mean, we can't look at that and say, if you don't believe in the resurrection, it's okay. We, you'll get there one way or the other uh, in spite of yourself. No, that's just not the way it goes. So what do we believe? In Trinitarian theology, in other words, we're Trinitarians because we talked, we taught about the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, uh, three persons in in one. Three, the second person in, in Trinitarian theology, the second person of the Trinity became flesh in John one one and John fourteen. Remember, it says John one one says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and verse fourteen says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In other words, according to Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Jesus added to himself a human nature. We studied this in Lesson 4. You can go back and look at it in a little bit more detail if you want to about the hypostatic union. But this is what it says in Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. He says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see man all the way through that. He formed a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man. So he, he came, he took on the nature of man uh, when he, when he come and uh, was born of Mary, the virgin birth. Likewise, in Colossians 2.9, we've, we've read this before, it states, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Paul wrote that. 1 Timothy 2.5, he writes, he writes to Timothy, he says this, that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's saying the human man, Christ Jesus. We know that Jesus rose from the dead in the same body he died and since he prophesied, he was raised, he would raise his body and take back his life. We see this in these two passages in John. And this first one is right after Jesus purged the temple of the money changers. You can read the account before that, but I'm just going to read the passage where he's talking to the Jews now. So the Jews come up to him and they, they answer him and said to him, uh, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. See, he was, he was talking to them, and, and if they would have been astute enough, they were, they were scribes and Pharisees, people of, of uh, the Scriptures. They knew the Word, and they knew those things. They should have caught that, but they didn't. 
And there another place in there where uh, said uh, it kind of goes along with that one. I didn't write it down on your on your notes, but in Matthew 12, write this down if you want to write a note down. Matthew 12, 38 through 41, uh, Jesus also told the scribes and Pharisees they asked for a sign. They 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 wanted a sign. Show us a sign that you're the Messiah. Always asking for a sign. And Jesus said, no sign's going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And what was the sign of Jonah? You remember the account of Jonah, the Jonah in the in the whale. He was in the belly of the whale for three days. After three days, he was vomited back up on the shore, and he fulfilled the the uh, the, the purpose that God had sent him to to Nineveh. So go back and read that. But what he's talking about is the sign I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, or what he's saying I will rebuild his temple of his body. I will restore it back in three days is what he's saying. And then in John 10, uh, verse 17 and 18, he says, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. See, he, 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 he knew that he had that power to take life. He knew that he had that power to rise again. And uh, he was telling them all along uh, that nobody can take it from me. I, I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So Jesus retained the, star, the scars of his ordeal after the resurrection. And he was seen, so he was raised, and then you remember the accounts, and we're going to go over a few of the accounts after he showed himself to, to believers after the, after the actual resurrection, after the three days. We saw that first verse where they, they, the lady, Mary Magdalene, and and the rest of them went to there. So he, so he was seen as a man after the res- resurrection. And in these passages, John uh, verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, this is the account about Thomas, very familiar. So verse 24 says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the prince of the nails, and put my finger into the prince of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after day eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, uh, shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. In verse 27, he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have received, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. We're the ones that haven't seen, but we believe, right? And we're blessed because of that. Hallelujah. Luke 24, verses 30, 36 through 43. <clears throat> they to the disciples again. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Hearts, Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me. He says, Handle me. Touch me. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as, I see, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for, for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in his in their presence. See, he's proven that he's he's back in his bodily form. He said, "I can eat, I can breathe, 
the thing about it was he can walk through walls too in that same glorified body. What a deal. So as we can see from the above verses, Jesus retained his physical nature after his resurrection along with his scars. We see additional proof in what Paul wrote in Colossians. Uh, same verse we read earlier. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Notice in this passage that the verb dwells is in the present tense. That is, right now, Jesus has a body that we're talking present tense. He dwells in, in all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, that right now, Jesus has a body of flesh. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He is a physical body. He is in heaven. He is a man, the God-man. So, here's the bonus question after we talk, talk this at time on, the, on this matter of resurrection. Did Jesus rise from the dead in the very same body that he died in, or did he rise in a spirit body that was not flesh and bone? And the answer is, what? Anybody want to say? No answer? After we talked all about that, he rose, he rose in the very same body he died in. In other words, it's, of course, it was the glorified body, but it was a body. It was a human body. He didn't rise as a spirit. That's what a lot of those other denominations, a lot of those other cults and a lot of other things believe that he rose as a spirit and not as a physical body. That's the point I'm trying to get to, across to you, that his resurrection was a physical resurrection. The correct doctrine of Jesus' resurrection is Jesus rose from the dead in the very same physical body in which he died. This resurrected physical body was a glorified spiritual body. The spiritual body is not merely spirit, the spiritual body is the resurrected, glorified, physical human body. Amen? Are you all getting that? That's what, we, that's what we've been talking about. You all remember the account in John's gospel about Lazarus when he died. John eleven twenty five. I'm only going to read a few verses, three verses. Now, you know, he delayed. He delayed. He already had word that Lazarus was, was sick and, and he was going to look like he was going to die, and he died. And so he delayed even a few more days. Uh, and so it's after four days he finally showed up, and, and of course Mary or uh, Martha runs out to him and, and says, uh, you know, why, why weren't you here? If you'd been here, you, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said to her, he said, your brother will rise again. And then Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That right there is the definition of resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. What he's saying is, I'm the resurrection. If you believe in me, even if you die, even when you die, you're still going to live. In other words, you have eternal life. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Apart from Christ, there is no resurrection. There is no eternal life. Jesus does not, does more then give life, he is life. And that's why death has no power over him. Jesus confers his life on those who trust in him so that we can share in his triumph over death. You've heard that in this church preached many, many times. We have resurrection life in us. We have that seed in us, and we'll get more into that here in just the next few pages. But we have that in us right now. We should never fear death now if you're a believer. Don't fear death. It's only a temporary state. 1 John 5, 11 through 12 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son 
of God does not have life. We who believe in Jesus Christ will personally experience resurrection because having the life Jesus gives, we have overcome death. It is impossible for death to win. See, death is not going to win in our life. You know, some people's death is going to end up being all there is for them. They're going to die and they're going to end up, because they haven't given their life to Jesus, they're going to end up being cast into the lake of fire and they're going to die a, a, an immortal death, a death that lasts forever. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15 verses 53 through 57, Paul writes this. That's the same chapter 15, for you need, and you need to go back and read it all. For this corruptible must put on, he's talking about the, the body and, and our bodies being uh, being arisen, but he's also explaining what happens in the resurrection. He says, for this, in the resurrection, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, so when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we have that victory. I'll never go to another funeral. I'll never preach another funeral that I won't remember this right now because we use that a lot. We always say, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? But the victory that we have is in the resurrection power in our life, the resurrection life that has been given to us. See, Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, right? In other words, Jesus led the way in life after death. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I don't know how many of you were in the the feast of uh, uh, feast studies when we did those, but the feast of first fruits is actually a type of what we're seeing here. We're we're seeing the what that, that what that was doing. Remember, I told you that in that in that Bible study that all the feasts were actually a type of point. Every one of them were pointing uh, to Jesus in our feast of the Lord uh, in the in the feast of first fruits, which is this, you know there's three feasts to, to start with. There's the Passover, which uh, shows forth the death of Jesus on the cross. And there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's where he is buried. The sin is hidden away. That's remember they, they, they took away all the, the, the sin is taken and hidden. They cleaned their houses. There was no leaven in the house and everything like that. And then on the third day after that is the Feast of First Fruits, where the priest went in before God and waved the, the sheaf of the, of the first harvest before the Lord. So this is a type of Christ, the wave sheaf of the first fruits. He is, in other words, what they did that uh, to pledge the rest of the harvest to the Lord. He is our pledge. He is our earnest payment for the great harvest to follow, coming uh, coming along uh, eventually when we when we die. Let me let me say one thing right here now about resurrection. There's you know I don't I want you to be I want this to be clear in your heads when you leave this place. There's a difference between resurrection and being raised from the dead. And you probably know this, but I just want to make sure you understand this for sure. See, it says here that he was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, if you look at it literally in what's in the Bible, no, he's he really not the first fruits because he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the widow Nain, uh, of Nain, raised her son. He raised Jairus' daughter. Uh, and then in his resurrection, even during that time, you know, when they said uh, the great earthquake happened and the veil was torn from top to bottom, and the earthquake and many graves were open and many saints were raised at that point, 
and they, they were raised. So how can he be the first fruits? Well, there's a difference between resurrection and raising again. The, the, the Greek word for resurrection is uh, anastasis, which means to basically all it means is to stand again. Uh, and then there, there's also words for the raising, and all, they're, but they're all, the, all pretty much the same thing. But what I want to point out to you is that all of those people that were raised, even in the Old Testament, there were many examples of people that were raised in the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha raised people from the dead. Uh, Jonah, you could say he was raised from the dead because he was in the belly of the whale for three days. You think he didn't die during that time? I believe he did. I believe he was resurrected, raised again to life when he was vomited up. But anyway, those, all these people, they were raised to life, but they were raised to life back into their mortal bodies. Okay? You understand that? In other words, they raised back into their mortal bodies, and they're going to die again. All of them died again, except Jesus. He was raised into his glorified physical body, never to die again. He was the first fruits of the real, what we call the resurrection. That's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. There has nobody ever been raised to resurrection that's lived forever before him, and nobody since then. But when the, when the resurrection does come and we're raised, and we'll see that verse here in just a little bit, then we will have that uh, resurrection, full resurrection life. The resurrection, do you understand that? Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that the, 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 there, there's a difference between being raised from the dead and the resurrection? The resurrection is where you, when, when the resurrection occurs, then you're raised to immortality. There's going to be a resurrection, and Pastor preached on this back when he was teaching about the the things, the cornerstone beliefs that Paul, or the writer of Hebrews was teaching, and one of those things, the many resurrections he taught about, and remember, there's going to be a there's going to be several resurrections. There's going to be a resurrection of the just, there's going to be a resurrection of the damned, and they're all going to be in their immortal bodies. It just depends on where they're going to be standing in judgment, and we won't get into that. But go back and look at his uh, lesson on resurrections, and that's very good. Actually, there's probably going to be a third resurrection at the end of the millennial for people that died even during the millennial time, but that's another study altogether. We'll talk about that one day. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, I hope you understand that. I hope you understand where I'm coming from on the resurrection. Resurrection, when you're, there has been no other resurrection since Jesus. Jesus was the first and first fruits, and then the rest of us, we will be the harvest at the end time when the harvest actually comes, when Jesus comes in the rapture, and then the harvest at the end of the of the tribulation period, and then, of course, on and on. The resurrection of Jesus is, Christ is important as a testimony to the resurrection of human beings, which is a basic tenet of the Christian faith. Unlike other religions, Christianity possesses a founder who transcends death and promises that his followers will do the same. Every other religion was founded by men or prophets whose end was the grave. I don't know of anybody else that ever was raised again and lives forever. Do y'all? Tell me if you do. As Christians, we know that God became man, died for our sins, and was resurrected the third day. The grave could not hold him. He lives, and he sits today at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And and just to give you a, a scripture uh, uh, to follow up with that first fruits, I, I didn't write this down, but read in First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 23, Paul says this, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are in Christ, who are Christ's at his coming. So that clears it up right there. He's the first fruits of the resurrection afterwards. That with, that's the order that happens. He's the first fruits 
the rest of it is at the harvest, uh, that those that are in Christ. So, you know, you can raise somebody from the dead. Smith Wigglesworth uh, purportedly rode, raised several people from the dead, but they, ra- they were raised from the dead to live again in their mortal bodies, and they died again. Hebrews 10.12 says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sins forever, sat down, at the right hand of the God. That's the finished work. He, 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 this man, he has offered one sacrifice. He sat down in heaven at the right hand of God. That's the resurrection. This man, once again, there's the word man. The word of God guarantees the believer's resurrection at the coming of Jesus Christ for his church at the rapture. Such assurance results in a great song of triumph as Paul writes in, in uh, verse 55 of that chapter 15. We read it already. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? <clears throat> and that reminds me of the old Baptist hymn. How many Baptists, old Baptists in here? I'm, I'm ex-Baptist, you know, so. But remember that? Y'all remember this song? Probably in other churches too. I don't know, but the, the, the refrain for that particular song, Up From the Grave He Arose, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that song, you know. Up From the Grave He Arose. With a mighty triumph over his foes, he, he rose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Anybody ever sang that song besides me? I did. All of us probably did, most of us. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was the crowning achievement that forever separates him from any religious leader, just like we talked about earlier, who has ever been or will ever live. No other religious figure in history has ever prophesied his own death and resurrection, and then accomplished it. Accomplished it, right? Nobody. Jesus is the only one. The resurrection is the triumphant and glorious victory for every believer. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose the third day, according to the scriptures. In in verse three and four of chapter fifteen, for I delivered you first of all, just what we read this earlier, but. For that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he is coming again. The dead in Christ will be raised up, and those who are alive at his coming will be changed and receive new glorified bodies. Listen to this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ important? It proves who Jesus is. It demonstrates that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. It shows that God has the power to raise us from the dead. It guarantees that the bodies of those who believe in Christ will not remain dead, but will be resurrected unto eternal life. And finally, this this quote, I, I can't remember where I got it, but it kind of closes up the, the death part, the, the, the sacrificial death on the cross and the resurrection. His death proved that he was fully human, and his resurrection proved that he was fully God. Amen? Did you all get anything out of that? Isn't the resurrection the great thing? 
Absolutely, yeah, that's it. That's it. Thank you, JC. All right, let's close with prayer. And remember, next week, y'all don't fail to come and be a part of that graduation. Uh, I, I'm not sure, two or three, I think. But uh, but those guys go through a lot, and it's a big it's a big event, and and they like to do it at our church, and and I like for our people to show and show support because it is a big step in their life moving forward, and we need to. Uh, we need to be here and witness that change of life. That's resurrection life right there when you see people going through that. So be here for that. I encourage you to be here. And then in a couple of weeks, Pastor Travis will be taking over Bible study. And I'm not sure what he's going, what it's going to be on, but you know it's going to be good. And so uh, looking forward to Sunday. So glad you all were here tonight. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for these gifts that you give to us so much, this gift of salvation that is so precious to us. Father, we thank you. Father, we know that you value us so much, that you see worth in us because you gave your only begotten son to die on the cross for us. You loved us so much that you allowed your son Jesus to die on the cross, shed his blood for us. How much more could you show our worth and how much more could you show how much you loved us except through that death? And we thank you for it, Father. We thank you also that you sealed the deal. You sealed the deal with the resurrection that you showed that you not only uh, you saved us through the salvation, through the, through, the, through the death of Jesus Christ, but then you're going to give us eternal life with you forever and ever through the resurrection. And Jesus was the resurrection. He is the life. And because we believe in him, because we confess him with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we have eternal life. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you that for that word that goes forth. And Father, I pray that as we live this out each and every day, that we always remember the great price that was paid and the great reward that we will receive because we believe on what you have done. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to thank all of you who give to our ministries here at AOL Church. It's because of you that all of this is possible. You can give now by clicking the link below. And if you haven't already, subscribe and share this message. It helps us reach more people and share the gospel through you. Be sure to stay connected to us through our Church Center app, our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and follow us on social media like Facebook and Instagram. May the Lord bless you and keep you. His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Thanks again for listening. Go and make a difference today.